Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Wait till you hear the incredible story of Gary Ryan. This guy's amazing. Gary competed on behalf of Ireland in two Olympic Games. As a sprinter, he is world class. At Irish Nationals, he won the 100 meter five times, the 200 four times, the 200 meter indoor title seven times, and won five Scottish national championships. He won the outdoor 200 in 97, four indoor 200 crowns, 14 titles at the Irish University's Athletics Association Championships, and added seven victories in relay events. Internationally, his biggest achievement was winning the bronze medal with the Irish 4x400 relay team at the 2004 World Indoors. Although his ability is fantastic, he attributes his success to hard work. He retired from competitive athletics in 2006 and has held a number of positions, including Director of Development with Athletics Ireland. He is currently the UL Bayo Project Manager at the Physical Education and Sports Sciences Department at the University of Limerick, where I first met him. Gary is exactly what we look for in a podcast guest. He's an accomplished athlete, a good human being, and is doing everything he can to transfer the lessons he learned through sport to his day-to-day life. So listen close and learn from Gary Ryan. Yeah, I, I suppose that I'll start in the middle because um, I'm work my way out from that because I, uh, the, the highlights were I was um, a track and field athlete. Um, that's where I ended up. Uh, competed at two Olympic Games. Uh, almost qual- Well, I did get the qualifying time for a third, um, just didn't get to the Games. Um, uh, won a World Championship uh, indoor track and field medal at the 4x4 relay in 2004. Uh, as I said, competed at Atlanta and Sydney in the Olympics. Um, I suppose I was a sprinter. We wouldn't be known in Ireland for, for being a, a great sprinting nation, but I probably took it on a couple of levels towards um, world class. And we started to win medals at, at international level and, and, and continued to do so. It's been a bit of a paradigm shift in in uh, in the sport here in Ireland over the last sort of 15, 20 years. So um, that was it where I started probably. Um, I was, I'm from a very, very small village in Ireland you brought up on a farm um, and wasn't a naturally gifted athlete and uh, you know people were asking me last week about my, my journey in a similar way and when I was 15 you know I wasn't even making our school team for for track um, and you know I was a decent um, soccer player I was I was getting on okay at that and playing at a good level here in Ireland um, but persistence I think is probably the, 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 the motto of my life um, you know, I just stayed at it. I just kept going. And um, uh, by 17, I started to get a little bit better, but was certainly not anywhere entertaining um, world class. I was probably closer to being at a good level internationally as a soccer player. But I also realized probably about 1920 that I was never going to make it to the highest level of that. And probably for about two or three years when I started university, I wasn't doing anything very much. I was still keeping in touch with track, um, not doing great. It was when I came here to this university in Limerick um, and I met my coaches from pretty much my whole career after that, Drew and Haley Harrison, um, that I started to see rapid progress. So I, I started training with them in the middle of uh, the beginning of 1996 and made a massive improvement and qualified for the uh, Atlanta Olympics about six months later. Um pretty much unknown to myself. Um, I literally was a case of um, uh, turn up every day. 
and just do what they told me. And uh, I made a massive improvement in, in that sort of space of time. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of the journey and, and lots of setbacks up to that. Certainly never entertained any thoughts of being a, an international um, athlete. Never really was something that came on your radar where I was from. Um, but it was, a, I remember coming to meet Drew the very first time I met him and he asked what I wanted to do. And for a joke, I said, I'd like to, to run the Olympics someday. And he went, fine, I'll see you tomorrow at training. And that sort of was like the, the great stamp of authority that I think I needed to say, well, you know, he doesn't think I'm crazy. Um, or at least he's not saying it out loud. Um, and just turn up, do what you're told and, and trust in, and it was really trust. I had great faith in, in, and still do in Drew and Haley. And, uh, it certainly transformed my life because I think, you know, you talk about um, in the project that you do, The Good Athlete, I think um, the character that I had, I was quite a shy um, high school student. Um, I was shy and quiet then, now I'm just quiet um, uh, and assertive. <laughs> but I think it, it certainly brought out things in me that I wasn't aware that I had. Um, certainly my work ethic that I didn't really realize that I had. Um, uh, and a certain confidence in what I was doing. Um, and that grew over the 10 or 12 years that I was um, a track and field athlete. So, um, And that career had plenty of ups and downs, lots of injuries. Um, you know, wasn't completely in the full of my health when I went to, um, to Sydney, but competed well at World Championships, World Indoor Championships, European Championships, broke 22 national records, won 16 national titles. Um, you know, there were, they, I, somebody sent me a YouTube clip of me running today. Um, and, and it just sort of, it, it hits you a little bit because you can't do it anymore. Um, because that, that athlete is still in you and you'd love to, I, I would love to still be able to do that. Um, uh, so look, time catches up with everybody. I retired in 2006. Um, my mind probably was at its, my, my whole mental ability was probably at its highest. I think I was, I was really good mentally then, but uh, my body had retired probably in 2004. Um, uh, so it was a certain meeting of mind and body in 2006 uh, and went straight into becoming the director of coaching, which is for our national federation for about three years, um, which kind of had two kind of parts. Of that one was, um, developing coaches and developing coach education. And the other part was working with young athletes, um, particularly aged 16 to 20, our best kind of top 30 athletes in that age group um, nationally. And I worked there for three years. Um, we made a lot of progress in those three years in terms of development systems. And then there was a, a change in, in management that became quite a difficult place to work. And, and I decided for the sake of myself and my, my health and uh, the fact that I didn't see it progressing for a number of years, I moved and started working with um, first um, University in Galway and now here in the University of Limerick um, on, on different projects. Um, but I still coach. I coached track and field up to 2012 with some athletes that went to the 2012 Olympics um, and some went to World Championships and European Championships. And now most of my coaching is uh, with our national sport, which is hurling. Uh, I work as head of athletic development or fitness or strength. I don't care about the title. but uh, And if your uh, listeners or viewers don't know what hurling is, YouTube it. Oh, man. It's, uh, it's, our, it's our version of baseball. It's the cross between lacrosse and American football and rugby and soccer. and A little all bit of everything, things. for sure. 
um, so I work with with uh, one of the top teams called Tipperary. We were national champions in 2016. Um, so I've been working with them since 2014 and, and back with them for another season. It's it's my evening and weekend job. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it's, it's very enjoyable. certainly something I never really played the game very much. Um, so it's been a huge learning experience for me. So I really enjoy it because I get to work with some really good athletes that, that are really committed to what they're doing. And it's, it's again, it's different from an individual sport, working with a team sport. Um, has its own dynamic but um it, it's certainly fun um it's a lot of work but it's fun yeah absolutely do you hurl at all you get out there no with them I, I was uh, probably the worst hurler, and I, I try and integrate a lot of the fitness work with with the ball and, and the gameplay um so uh they get a good laugh out of me trying to hurt <laughs> uh, so it's been entertaining for the players i've, I've gotten better <laughs> um but no, I never did. Uh, it was, to be honest, it was too much going on in my life to, to fit it in. But um, it's a great game. It really is a great game. For sure. Well, to get to the level that you got to, you have to be sort of mildly obsessed, for sure. Yeah, I, I, no harm in it at all. You know, I think uh, we always talk about the balance in athletes' life. It's not necessarily the balance we'd all sort of talk about. It's slightly left the center of that. Otherwise, you can't be successful. You have to be a little bit obsessed. But it's nice. Everyone should be about something. Yeah, I think so too. As long as uh, as long as you can see shore from where you're at, you can yeah you can drift out a little bit, right? Yeah, and really go <laughs> go deep. Um, well, tell us a little bit more about that. I'd like to know about um, the training it takes to to become a uh, you know to to break 22 world records or or, or whatever you know Irish records. We're Irish records. Quite, okay, yeah. Irish records. Uh, yeah, no. It, and, it, I'm sorry. It, your event was you said four by four was 400. Uh, was that your four by four? Was kind of, they used to throw me in the four by four when uh, they they yeah, were desperate. I think no, I was a good four by four runner because I would run through pain barriers, and that's really was my skill uh, set. It wasn't anything else. Um, my main event was 200 meters. Yeah. Um, but I broke the. I had the Irish record for 100 meters for 60, 100, and 200 for quite a while. And uh, for the four by four, they throw me in on occasion. Um, so the training, I guess it's. You know, you think about life now, you know, your, your day was very goal oriented. So we knew exactly what we were trying to achieve every day. You know, you go to the gym, you have to lift X amount, X amount of times. You go to the track, you're trying to cover every distance in, in whatever time. So it was, you know, probably 10, 12 sessions a week um, during the winter. Um, uh, we worked hard, you know, no question of that. Um, four track sessions, three to four gym sessions um, and then recovery um, and, and other kind of stuff in there. So, um, yeah, it was pretty full-time. Certainly during the winter, it's sort of up to 10, 12 sessions, and then during the summer, probably you're down to five or six. Um, but we had a good group. That was, I think, the thing that was most enjoyable about it. We had, you know, a lot of world-class athletes training here with me, and, and it was really enjoyable. It was, it was a really nice environment to work really hard with some really good friends of yours, and, you know, we've all... You know, stayed. We had all had lunch like uh, two weeks ago just to catch up again. And some of them work with me here in University of Limerick, and um, we've all stayed close. And and that kind of friendship that you develop from being with people who are trying to strive to to do the same thing as you, and it's hard. I think that brings a kind of a closeness that you know people feel in sport that maybe you don't get in other walks of life. So. Um, that was, you know, it was hard work, but it was really enjoyable. I love turning up for training, and I miss that part of 
that social aspect of it and that hard work aspect of it. For sure. There's certainly something about going through a, a struggle together, mm. right? To, to do yeah. it together. Um, especially in the presence of people that you trust. And that's because you mentioned trust. What made, what made your coaches so special? Uh, you talked about the incredible advancement you made in just six yeah. months, was it? Yeah, it was in, in, in six months, I suppose. The biggest advancement was that first six months. And it was really learning how to train and discipline and you know what the value of hard work because i suppose maybe i thought that it was all about talent before that i thought you were god-given and that's what made you be um, a successful athlete and it really isn't it's it's the work ethic that you put into it um and drew and Haley are, are a couple um they, they've been married for um before i met them and and they've had their children have grown up now even in the time so we were pushing their their the buggies of the kids in between our track reps um, and now they're in university themselves but I think one of the things I keep coming back to and as learning about being, being a coach as well is um, and they taught me this first was uh, that we were just part of an extended part of their family and I've seen that with really good coaches anywhere I've gone to observe them or work with them it's that the the athletes are sort of an extended family to them and you know that idea of caring about not just what's happening on the pitch or the track, it's what's happening outside of that that affects their lives. So we were definitely friends and family, and you knew that from day one. You know, it wasn't just the conversation wasn't about what the session was going to be. It was about your life around it. It was about your day. And I think trust comes from that. And I think, um, you know, we knew, and I knew, and I still know, that they uh, their motivation was to see me succeed. There was nothing else there was no other motivation for it that it was that they were facilitating me being better at what I did. And I think that's a lesson I've learned that, you know, for any athlete that I've worked with, they have to know I don't have an ulterior motive for this. I want to see them get better. And it's not about me being successful. It's about them being successful. And that that's the essence of coaching. I think is um, that we shouldn't be the star of the show as a coach. It, it's got to be the athlete and you're in the background. And, um, I think that's if I think athletes, if they trust that you are trying to do the right thing by them, I think they'll listen to you. I think they'll they'll try what you say, um, and I, I think that's the essence of it. I think if they believe in your motives, that's the most important thing. That's that's such an important thing to say. I actually, I mean, that really resonated with me. So, especially in a sport like yours, when you're asked to sort of test your limits, as you as you so eloquently put it, run through your pain barrier, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Just just push, 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 push to improve, to you know, generate adaptations and, and improve your times. Um, you have to you have to trust that the facilitator or the designer of the experience is going to allow for the appropriate work rest ratio, right? Because mm -hmm. um, they don't want you to bottom out. They don't want you to hit ceiling and bottom out, right? Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I mean it, that's that sports gone well. That sports gone right, as far as I'm concerned. Establishing the family atmosphere, understanding that they care about you, like you as a human being, reaching your full potential. Uh, it's absolutely essential. It, it's funny, you just you know that pain barrier. Like the last thing I did at our session last night with with Tipperary was talk to one of our, our players about him you know, uh, putting himself in painful situations where he's going to get hit and hurt and stuff like that. But it's going to, you know, it was, 
it's just something he needs to do about you know taking on a challenge and and you know he just has to it's one of the things that will make him better in terms of being more aggressive in his play and so on but you also realizing that I'm asking him to do this not for me but for himself but at the same time he has to trust that what I'm saying to him works and because I'm asking I'm asking him to probably take a belt in the head at some stage you know that but my his welfare is still the most important thing to me but i want to see him succeed and it's that balance that you have to get right and trust it's got to be about, and, and you're totally right because what we're asking people to do so often is just it's like counter to every intuition in the body right like if you touch a hot pan you pull back you yeah. don't touch the pan again you know what i mean uh yeah. you learn that lesson very quickly and clearly and we do uh you know strength and conditioning in every sense is it feels very similar you are going to be in pain we have to identify what the right sort of pain is, right? Like what's sore from yeah. training? What is a broke? We're not going to ask you to play through a broken leg, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, so, so that balance, uh, the essential component to, to that buy-in is trust. And, and that might be one of the hard things to establish. And it's funny, I mean, obviously you and it sounds like a lot of your teammates got to a, a very high level. And, uh, you know, I think too often what, what, what one might find when sports go wrong is that a coach would prioritize um, something tangible like a trophy over the uh, development of their players. And, and the funny sort of, the, the, the real miss in that is that if you take care of your players as people and athletes and, and help them reach their full potential as human beings, the trophies are almost like a byproduct of that, yeah. right? As, a, as opposed to like the short-sighted version. I think, and I've not just stayed in my own comfort zone, I've probably gone and looked at other coaches and other sports, and I've gone, you know, I've been lucky enough to get opportunities to, to travel a little bit and, and stay with coaches and work with them. And I think consistently what I've seen is that the coaches that prioritize the the trophy, um, they may get a trophy, they may by chance win one, but they won't do it consistently. And it's it's going to go wrong. But the ones who actually take that approach of, the holistic view of their athletes, the holistic view of their program, they'll be consistently successful for a long time. And they will produce athletes on over 10, 20, 30 years. And that's that's the one thing that I've seen in every single successful coach that I've been lucky enough to meet. Um, I, I suppose I, I try and avoid the unsuccessful ones, so I, I don't know if that's necessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, that's a casual observation about some people that I think are, you know, Look, if you're there often enough, by chance you might win something, but I don't think it's necessarily by design. No, I think that's right. Um, okay, so you mentioned persistence as one of the key factors in your success. How has that shown up in your, say, relationships or your professional life? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do now is is trying to get projects um, off the ground in, in lots of different areas, whether that's high-performance sport or physical activity or health or or working with industry. And I think, um, you know, the the thing that I've probably learned from sport and even with the, the, the work that I'm doing now is that inevitably you're going to have failure. And failure isn't a stop. It isn't an end. It means that you actually have to readjust, reset, and move again. Um, so that's, I suppose, what I've learned about that sort of persistence is just that. It isn't saying just because something has gone wrong that that doesn't mean that this ends. It doesn't mean that it's the, the end of the line for something. It means you just have to look at an alternative way of doing it. Sometimes things run their course and that's it. But it, it isn't the first time or the second time or the third time that that happens. So, you, you know, you look at what entrepreneurs keep saying is that the most they learn is from the failures of businesses that they set up. 
um, to lead them to being a successful one. So, you know, we all, lots of good ideas. You get lots of good ideas pitched at you. I get lots of good ideas pitched at me. And you have to ask, well, why haven't they been successful in the past or why hasn't been done in the past? There's probably a reason there. And it's just that persistence of finding the right answer or the right key or the right people. That's what you have to keep going at. Um, so, yeah, I think um, that's probably the quality I bring to things is that um, I'm a bit of a dog with a bone. Um, but I try and do it in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Enough. I like that a lot. Man. Um, and I like I like that you differentiate between sort of the mindless slog of go, go, go and, and say, like, I'm never going to stop but I'll take a deliberate turn here, right? There are no hard stops. I might have to re-examine my options and, and kind of uh, the path might be winding, uh, but it doesn't end. Um, to, here, here's what I want to know. The 400, I can't get away from this, the 400 thing, because I've, I've done 400 yeah. just as like a training <laughs> supplement. Like they are brutal. And I would ask anyone who's hearing this, um, who hasn't tried to run a 400, which is uh, here, it's one lap around the track, hasn't run a 400 at speed, I would challenge anyone to go do that. Uh, tell us a little bit about training for that. Uh, what were, if you're, not too, if you're not too humble, tell us about some of your best times or maybe your best moment in that. Because it's, it's yeah. gotta be the hardest race out there. The training I didn't do enough of the 400 meter training. Um, I think the training for it is, and you were asked about the trust in the coach, I think a lot of it is, um, obviously trying to do stuff at the right speed where you go into enormous amounts of lactic acid and how you deal with that lactic. Um, uh, I, I think the essence of that was our coach really being experienced about how to deal with that. So you would be just done, like on the track, lying down, thinking you can never walk again. And she'll say, one more, guys. And two things go through your head. I, I'm going to kill this woman. Or B, I, I believe in her and she thinks I can do it. So I'm going to get up my ass and... Right. You know, finish the next 200 or the next 300 and that was you know she's still alive so we usually took option b <laughs> uh, uh, so that was it it really is 400 is really about trying to train often enough at the right speed um i didn't run at that in the the 400 um my i think my my best split time was 44 3 oh jeez. Uh, so you know or sorry 40 40 sorry 45 1 i'm getting ahead of myself. oh 40, never mind but, then uh yeah uh, i dream i dream but it was like I think, um, yeah, it was it was um, to to I think probably you know we the the world indoors probably was more a tactical effort for me. I wasn't in great shape when we won a bronze medal at that, um, but I I basically made myself very big and difficult to pass. Um, probably the best performance is World Student Games in a final. I ran really well in in, in that. We finished fourth. Um, I remember. <laughs> Uh, I remember World Championships in, I think it was uh, 2003, I think, or, or 1999. We, uh, I hadn't run a 400 in quite a long time, and it was a little rusty. And the U.S. were in the lane outside us, and uh, uh, whoever was running first leg for the U.S. had run 43.5 or 43.6 the week before. And I was catching the guy with, you know, 200 gone, thinking, this is really easy. I should move up to 400 more often. And, you know... 400 is a way of going, tapping you on the shoulder and going, ah, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with about 150 to go, like three or four elephants came down from the stand and jumped on my back and I had to carry them for the rest of it. But yeah, it's the aftermath. I think anyone who hasn't run a 400, it's it, it, it looks okay on the track. It hurts a lot, but it's the next 30, 45 minutes where you literally can't stand up. And after that particular race, I was uh, lying in the 
the call room, which is uh, after the, the under the under the stadium, and uh, just didn't realise there was a lot of people standing over me, and I was quite warm, um, but didn't know where I was or anything like that. And uh, eventually, I copped on that I'd uh, was lying under a fridge, and people were taking bottles of water out of it and stuff like that. But I, you know, you, you kind of lose a, a certain amount of sense and consciousness. But it's it really is just what can you do to your body and see if it reacts. <laughs> That's a uh, 400 yeah. I still get nervous watching the start of one. Yeah, that's incredible. What a mindset. That's amazing. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not going to share my times with you, but I'll say that, <laughs> that, that you beat me. <laughs> that you beat me. Uh, are, there any, are there any projects that you're excited about that you'd like to share and like uh, things going on at UL right now? Yeah, but we've got, in what I do, there's, we've probably got live right now 20, 23, 24 projects on at different levels of development or events or whatever it might be. Um, I suppose the one that probably from uh, an athlete point of view, we have a couple of ones around high performance that are very early stages. The one that's probably around an athlete is, um, and, and the Good Athlete Project is a, a program called Empatia, um, which is a European-wide project. So we're working with nine partners across Europe. It's looking at trying to educate um, young performance athletes around their dual careers, how they're going to manage study and performance. And the people that we're targeting actually is their parents because they're their real influencers in, in, in young people's lives and they probably need as many tools as the athlete themselves to help them transition from high school to university and on. And uh, so it's an education program that we're developing with those nine partners um, for European athletes, it's it's. I think it's a really interesting one, and um, it fits into other projects then that we're doing with um, professional rugby teams and, and stuff like that. So that dual career one, I think, is is really interesting right now. All right. Well, then the next part of this is the lightning round. So we, uh, uh, Coach Nadal, has got some questions for you <laughs> that are uh, a little more light, fun, and personal, just to get to know the the man behind the track. Let's start with your first album. And first concert? <laughs> um, first album, I could give you an honest answer or I could give you the real answer. The uh, real answer was a, a, an album called uh, uh, Spanish Train and Other Stories. It was a Krista Berg album. So it was a friend of mine made me buy it. That's what I'm going to say. Um, I think he's, he's got a lifetime membership to the Barry Manilow Fan Club. Um, but probably the one that I remember most from that time was uh, God rest him, Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever. That's the the one that kind of uh, was the, that's the only one that I actually fondly remember. Right. <laughs> First concert was an Irish band called the Saw Doctors. I think I, my brain cells aren't working as well as they used to, but I think it was an Irish band called the Saw Doctors in in basically the back of a shopping center in uh, in my hometown. <laughs> they've uh, they've played at UL, haven't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. They've played everywhere. They've probably played your high school. <laughs> you didn't know it. Um, favorite book or movie unrelated to your field? Uh, I'm a bit of a history geek, so um, the, my favorite book probably has been a book about uh, the fall of Berlin at the end of World War II by a guy called Anthony Beaver. That's called Berlin. Um, movie used to be things like Pulp Fiction and things like that, but actually my wife's late dad um, was an advisor on Braveheart and on uh, Michael Collins. He was a, he was a military historian, and since then those kind of 
those movies have um, kind of struck a chord with me because of his involvement. Uh, great, it's a great movie, Braveheart, though. Yeah. On top of that, that helps. Um, if you weren't in this career, what would you be doing? Trying to get into it. Um, yes. I'd probably, it would be some version of coaching or some version of high performance sport or. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like if you weren't a horse, what would you be? I need to be a horse. <laughs> you know, I, I can't see myself doing anything. Yeah, I love that. Um, I might change the question in the future to that phrasing. <laughs> no, but I probably, if I've been asked that before, I probably said, I don't know. Yeah. Astronaut or something, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think we we get that answer frequently, but it's it's a good answer, right? I mean, you you know, yeah. you're talking to someone who truly is like super passionate and loves what they're doing, and there's mm-hmm. like like the thought of something else doesn't even creep in, and yeah. it's great. Horrifying. <laughs> what advice, as a leader, what advice would you give to a future leader about to embark on a similar journey? I think like what we were talking about earlier. I think fail. Make sure you fail. I really don't trust people who are only successful. Something's wrong there. Um, I think you you get a lot more resilience and a lot more insight when, into yourself and into the world around you when you have to face failure. And I think it's it's a really good thing to happen. Um, so be prepared for it. Don't think that everything's going to go the way you expect it to. And don't think you're going to end up where you think you're going to end up because where you're meant to end up is where you're meant to end up. Love it. Um, all right. Uh, there may be there may be many, but publicly thank one person. Uh, I, well, one person because yeah, no, I'm not going to thank one person because they really were a team. It was my my mom and dad. I think uh, you know uh, they didn't have a lot, but by God, they gave us a lot. Um, you know, we weren't we were brought up in a on a farm on the top of a mountain in Tipperary and whatever we you know they they did whatever they possibly humanly could for us. So. Yeah, that's. They're, they're, I suppose they're one person, the two of them. Yeah, they're a team. Like yeah. it. Yeah, that's probably all we have for you. I I, uh, I really appreciate you being on today. Not at all. Pleasure. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.